Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times News Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes. To keep in touch with us, use our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, which are all at Q and Review. That's C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. Or get in touch via information at qandreview.com. That's information at C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot com. Please like and share our podcast and give us any constructive feedback. Evening Times, April 28. Lifestyle. Driving in Italy is a stressful business. Report by Anne Fotheringham. Lee Conetta is Glasgow food royalty. For her regular column in the Glasgow Times, she shares fantastic recipes and memories of her life here in the city and her travels to Italy and beyond. This time, she is reflecting on her last column having gone global in a way no one quite expected and recalling happy driving holidays on the Amalfi coast with her beloved husband, Joe. She says, My last column appears to have caused a bit of a stushy in Portugal. It seems a news agency got wind of my mishaps at the hotel I had jokingly renamed Portugal's answer to faulty towers and ran with a story headlined Famous British woman reports unpleasant experience in Portugal. I couldn't stop laughing and of course I am delighted to be a famous British woman. Anyway, on to this week's adventure and it takes me back to another part of Europe I love dearly. Driving down the Amalfi Coast is one of the most stunning and dangerous things you'll ever do. Trying to negotiate sharp bends with steep drops is tricky enough without the frequent buses flying round the corner to meet you head on. My husband Joe and I did it several times and I am still suffering from post-traumatic stress as a result. But it was worth it to visit the gorgeous towns of Amalfi, Ravello and Positano. Few things are more inspiring and beautiful than the views from the top of the cliff at Positano and Ravello. Or the incredible winding road, which takes you out of the squalor and chaos of Naples into the bright sunlight and greenery of the coastline with its wonderful lemon trees. In Positano, the pace of life slows down and time is dedicated to enjoyment of the scenery and the Blue Sea, and the great food in the local restaurants. Positano is a pretty village on a cliffside on southern Italy's Amalfi coast. It's a well-known holiday destination, popular with tourists thanks to its pebble beachfront and striking steep narrow streets lined with boutiques and cafes. My husband and I stayed at Hotel Cristina, owned by two sisters, it was the cleanest hotel I have ever stayed at, with wonderful food. Towels were changed three times a day. We also ate in a very famous restaurant in Ravello, run by a middle-aged lady 
where we ate the most sensational food. And of course, the wonderful local lemons are used to make the famous limoncello liquor, though this is not recommended before negotiating those bends in the road. This week's recipe is the most famous pasta dish of Positano, a dream pasta for vegans, vegetarians and meat eaters alike. And if you are confused by the fact that this recipe is called macaroni, but actually uses spaghetti, do not despair. In Campania, especially amongst the old guys, macaroni is a generic term for all pasta. You could use any type of pasta, but the dish is best with spaghetti. Buon appetito! Macaroni al seti odori Macaroni with seven flavours Ingredients Serves four 600 grams fresh ripe tomatoes One clove of garlic crushed Three tablespoons of olive oil Ten leaves of basil torn into small strips Two tablespoons of chopped fresh parsley one teaspoon dried oregano, half an onion peeled and chopped very finely, one stick of celery very finely chopped, salt and freshly milled black pepper, 500 grams spaghetti. Method. Put the tomatoes in a large heat proof bowl and cover them with boiling water. Leave until the skins burst and drain well. Peel carefully, cut in half and remove the seeds. Quarter and place in a colander set over a bowl to drain for 30 minutes. When the tomatoes are drained, tip them into a bowl. Add the garlic, olive oil, basil, parsley, oregano, onion and celery. These are the seven flavours and must be carefully stirred into the tomatoes. Season with salt and freshly milled black pepper and leave to stand overnight or for at least two hours. When you are ready to serve, bring a large pan of salted water to a rolling boil. Toss in the spaghetti, stir, return to the boil and cook until just tender. Check the packet for the al dente cooking instructions, usually around 10 minutes. Drain and return to the pan. Pour over the sauce and stir together. Serve at once. As the sauce is cold, the dish will only be lukewarm. Perfect for early spring with a nice glass of rosé wine. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 29th of April 2022, from the news section, Delivery driver ran over a pedestrian as she crossed a green man in Maryhill by Connor Gordon. A delivery driver ran over a pedestrian as she crossed a green man. XDHL employee James Harrison, 39, struck Margaret Murray in Glasgow's Maryhill in December 2019. The 39-year-old was adjusting his radio when he took his eyes off the road. Miss Murray fortunately escaped uninjured. Harrison of the city's Rukese pled guilty at Glasgow Sheriff Court to careless driving. 
Sheriff Jonathan Guy fined Harrison, never landscape gardener, £290, and disqualified him for driving for 108 days. The court heard that it was 5pm when Harrison was in his Vauxhall van on Mayhill Road as the victim approached a pedestrian crossing. Prosecutor Robin McDowell said, She stepped off the road when the green man illuminated and at this time was struck by Harrison's vehicle. The woman fell to the ground and was assisted by witnesses. Harrison came out of the van and stated that he didn't see the lights. There was no medical envy evidence which Mr McDougall took to believe there was no injury. Mark Waters, defending, told the court that Harrison was delivering parcels at the time. The lawyer added, he was adjusting his radio and the lights were at green. When he looked up and the lights changed and Mrs Mike crossed the road, Mr Harrison slammed on the brakes and hit her. You appreciate the seriousness of the matter. Sheriff Guy told Harrison the offence was uppermost series of that type. And that article was by Connor Gordon. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 29th of April 2022, from the news section, Woman, 50, arrested in connection with disturbance in Rutherland, by Sarah Pat Ceneroni. A woman has been arrested in connection with a disturbance in Rutherland last night. Officers were alert- alerted to a disturbance around 5pm on Thursday, April the 28th. They attended the scene on Greenhill Road, where they arrested a woman in connection with the incident. The 50-year-old was charged and is due to appear at Hamilton Sheriff Court today. A Police Scotland spokesperson said, Around 5pm on Thursday, 28th of April, police were made aware of a disturbance at a property in the Greenhill Road area of Glasgow. Officers attended and a 50-year-old woman was arrested and charged in connection. She is due to appear at Hamilton Sheriff Court on Friday, April 29, 2022. And that article is by Sarah Pacciaroni. This article is from the Glasgow Times. Date 29th April 2022 from the Lifestyle section. Glasgow Coffee Festival founder Lisa Lawson calls for single-use cup ban by Anne Fotheringham. The organiser of the Glasgow Coffee Festival is calling for a ban on single-use coffee cups. Lisa Lawson has teamed up with Keep Cup to provide reusable coffee cups to everyone who attends the event. The Scottish Government recently established an advisory group on plans to introduce a mandatory charge on coffee cups in Scotland. More than 95 million single-use cups are used in Glasgow every year, with most being either incinerated or sent to landfill. Lisa, who set up Dear Green Coffee Roasters in Glasgow more than 10 years ago said, I hope within this decade, single-use cups can be a thing of the past. There's a climate emergency and as an industry, we have to do our bit to turn this back around and once again encourage people to make a very simple shift. I thought COP26 would make that change, but it hasn't. Maybe our festival can cause people to ditch single-use cups once and for all. 
Compostable and recyclable isn't the answer. Reusable is the only solution. At the very least, people should be able to pay extra for single-use cups. Abigail Forsyth, founder of Keep Cup, which is an event sponsor, said, We love that Scotland is leading the world in transition to renewables and now looking at banning problematic and unnecessary packaging in the form of the single-use cup. The disposable cup-free Glasgow Coffee Festival and all the cafes and roasters and punters who participated have led the way with cultural change. Power to the people. The Glasgow Coffee Festival runs from May 2nd to May 15th. That article was by Anne Fotheringham. This article is from the Glasgow Times, date 29th April 2022, from the Lifestyle section. Glasgow's Ovo Hydro becomes first arena in the world to achieve special green status. By Sarah Pacioroni. A Glasgow concert venue has become the first arena in the world to be recognised for its efforts to become more sustainable. The Ovo Hydro, part of the Scottish Event Campus, or SEC, in Glasgow, has just been awarded a Greener Arena, AGA, certification. The award recognises the venue's commitment to tackling environmental issues such as emissions but also its work on issues around staff well-being. The Hydro was praised for making the switch to use 100% renewable electricity as well as eliminating the use of single-use plastic cups at live events. It has also introduced a campus-wide sustainable food strategy, which sees at least 80% of ingredients sourced in Scotland combined with a commitment to cut food waste and is expanding charging points for electric vehicles. The award was presented at the Green Events and Innovations Conference in London by a Greener Festival, AGF a not-for-profit company committed to helping events, festivals and venues around the world reduce their environmental impact. SEC bosses said the Hydro being the first arena in the world to be given the award was a huge achievement. Debbie McWilliams, Director of Live Entertainment at SEC, stated, More than ever, we are focused on the impact our business has on the planet, and are proud to be awarded a Greener Arena certification. Receiving such an accolade is further proof of our commitment to delivering a greener future for our events. Being the first arena in the world to accomplish this is a huge achievement and we hope this paves the way for others to follow. It is a significant milestone on our journey towards net zero by 2030 and a real credit to the team who works so passionately on implementing our sustainability strategy. James Watts, Head of PR and Sponsorships at OVO Energy, said, We are proud to work with partners who support our commitment to drive progress to zero carbon living. By becoming the world's first arena to achieve a Greener Arena certification, the Oval Hydro is sending a clear signal to the industry 
that lower impact live events are possible. We will continue to support the Ovo Hydro to further reduce its carbon footprint so fans and artists alike can perform in a venue that's supporting our collective goal, saving the planet. Claire O'Neill, co-founder of AGF, said since the organisation was launched in 2007, it had assessed more than 1,000 events, tours and venues across five continents, pro providing the first and only sustainable event certification. She added, we are delighted for the team at the Ovo Hydro and we hope that this leads the way for more arenas to get involved in the process. That article was by Sarah Pacioroni. This article is from the Glasgow Times, date 29th April 2022, from the Opinion section. It's almost time to cast your vote by First Minister Nicola Sturgeon. A week tomorrow, May 5th, people across Scotland go to the polls to elect the local councillors who will represent us in our communities over the next few years. Elections to local councils across the country are always important because the quality of local services and local representation really matters. This election is no different. The councillors and council administrations returned next week will have a big impact on our everyday lives. But if all local elections matter, and they do, it can be argued that this one is particularly crucial due to the backdrop against which it is happening. People are currently living through a brutal cost of living crisis. The severity of this crisis is unlike anything most of us have known in our lifetimes, with fuel and energy bills through the roof and food prices rocketing. Many people need support with basic everyday essentials and many more will be feeling an impact on day-to-day -day living. That means politicians at all levels of government need to step up. In my view, we need a pandemic-level response to this crisis. Political will and determination is essential to respond effectively to the challenges people are facing. I am determined that the Scottish Government will play its full part. With the SNP in government, people in Scotland already get prescriptions, university tuition and eye tests free of charge. Scots also pay, on average, lower council tax bills than people south of the border. These policies matter at any time, but at a time like this, the value of them becomes all the more obvious. The SNP manifesto for this election commits us to building on this and doing even more to help. We have already doubled the Scottish child payment and will increase it again later this year. We are increasing benefits and protecting investment in the Scottish Welfare Fund and discretionary housing payments. SNP councillors will also prioritise the expansion of free early years education to all one and two year olds starting with children from low-income households.
They will also build a system of wraparound childcare, providing year-round before and after school care, which will be free for those on the lowest incomes. Our manifesto outlines plans to build a fair, green and resilient recovery from COVID in every community in Scotland. That includes supporting local businesses and creating high quality jobs, making more progress towards our target of 110,000 more affordable homes over the next decade and delivering a national care service to transform the way care and support is delivered for people who use community health and social care. We will continue to use every power at our disposal to help families in tough times. Of course, this cost of living crisis isn't just in the last few months. It is the result of catastrophic Westminster policy decisions over many years. From the moment they took power, the Tories have chipped away at living standards and family incomes. A toxic combination of cuts and aggressive tax hikes rising energy bills and the impact of Brexit has left many families hundreds or thousands of pounds worse off. And while the Scottish Government will do all it can to help, the fact is that most of the key powers and resources to tackle this emergency still lie with government at Westminster. Tory politicians are so distracted by Partygate, however, that they have failed to bring forward any meaningful package of support to help families with crippling price rises. So, at this election, as well as voting for strong local voices, we can choose to send a strong message to the Tory government that needs much more to be done. Next Thursday, people across Scotland will have the opportunity to cast their verdict on the antics of the Prime Minister at the height of lockdown, and on his woeful inaction when it comes to tackling the cost of living crisis. The Prime Minister has lost the moral right to govern, and that matters because his constant distractions are getting in the way of him doing the job of making life better for those he is meant to serve. Time may well be running out for Boris Johnson, but the problems of Westminster government are about more than just one politician. The Westminster system is broken. It's mired in scandal and sleaze, and those in the UK government are showing contempt for Parliament, democracy and the country. In these serious times, people, families and communities across Scotland need and expect serious leadership to steer Scotland through the cost of living crisis and on to a better future. There is a clear choice facing the people of Scotland on May 5th. It is SNP action and leadership or Tory inaction, self-interest, complacency and sleaze. We can all use our voices to, to demand this deeply out of touch Tory government at Westminster takes real action now on a cost of living crisis. This election is Scotland's opportunity to demand real support for families and communities here in Glasgow and right across the country. That article was by Nicola Sturgeon. This article is from The National, date 29th April 2022, from the Culture section.
Nelson Mandela's relationship with Scotland highlighted in new exhibition by Anita Badani. Nelson Mandela's relationship to Scotland is explored in a new exhibition co-hosted by the University of Dundee. Scotland, Global Solidarity and Mandela opened at Dundee's Central Library, Wellgate Centre, on Thursday, April 28th and runs until Wednesday, May 18th. Using original archival photos and posters, the exhibition recalls the story of Nelson Mandela's relationship to Scotland and the role played by the people of Scotland in the global struggle to end apartheid. The exhibition also documents Dundee's contribution to the anti-apartheid struggle and the campaign to secure Mandela's release from prison. Dr Matt Graham, a historian of Africa at the University of Dundee, said Dundee should be very proud of the city's contribution to anti-apartheid activism. The most significant anti-apartheid activity in Dundee was the successful campaign to award Nelson Mandela the freedom of the city in 1985. This symbolic act was a considerable demonstration of Dundonians' solidarity with Mandela and the people of South Africa. The legacy of Dundee's role in the anti-apartheid struggle can still be seen today through a plaque inside the foyer of the Central Library, which commemorates Mandela's status as a freeman of the city. Along with the exhibition, an event exploring the history of Dundee's involvement in the anti-apartheid struggle and its connections to Nelson Mandela will take place on Saturday, May 7th. Organisers Dr Matt Graham and Dr Christopher Fevry, University of the Free State, will be joined by former members of the anti-apartheid movement to discuss their experiences of the campaign. John Nelson, former secretary of the Scottish Committee of the AAM, said, We were all drawn to the movement for individual reasons. I came from a long line of missionaries, while others were from trade unions. Regardless of our backgrounds, we wanted to fight the injustices of apartheid in any way we could. I went to an anti-apartheid meeting in my first year at university, and it never really went away from me for after that. The highlight for me was Mandela's visit to Glasgow in 1993 to accept the freedom of the nine UK cities that had bestowed that honour on him. Four of these were in Scotland, so that perhaps tells you something about the level of anti-apartheid support here. Glasgow was the first city in the world to make a Mandela a freeman back in 1981, and that caught the attention of the world. The struggle for human rights equality and democracy in South Africa developed into one of the largest global social movements of the 20th century, uniting millions of people from around the world behind the anti-apartheid cause. In Britain, opposition to the apartheid system in South Africa was led by the AAM. The Scottish Committee of the AAM was formed at a meeting held in the University of Dundee's Student Union in 1976 and across the city there were regular rallies, pickets and boycotts opposing the apartheid state and its links to Britain. 
The exhibition and events are free to attend. That article was by Anita Badani. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 2nd of May. Big Ian joins efforts to help women with cancer. An exclusive front page article written by Kirsty Fierick. Sir Billy Connolly has donated his own painting to help a woman who's been diagnosed with cancer five times. The Big Yin gifted the limited edition hand-signed piece to help Stace O'Brien finally be cured after a brutal 10-year battle with the cruel illness. It comes as the 38-year-old from Glasgow suffers from a genetic condition increasing her chances of getting cancer. She's left in severe pain every day and feels 100 years old after doctors found cancer in her bones, breasts and lymph nodes and sarcoma in her leg. Stace hopes to travel to London for stem cell treatment, which she believes could finally cure her, but it'll cost around £30,000. Now Scott's comedy legend Sir Billy has stepped in to help her on her way to recovery by giving her a windswept and interesting yellow painting which she plans to auction. It comes after his team reached out, saying, We would gladly donate one of Billy Connolly's hand-signed limited edition for you to sell to help raise money for Stace's treatment. Stace told the Glasgow Times, It's so nice having a Sir Billy Connolly painting in the house that he gave to me. I've hung it on the wall just now so that I can enjoy it until it sells. It's so amazing. I need to get it auctioned soon so that I can get a treatment that may work and be painless. It'll cost £30,000, but it would mean the world to me, as I'm so sickly now. I just want to be able to do the things I used to do. I'm really struggling with severe pain. I'm in agony. I feel so broken. I don't know anyone else who's survived cancer five times, but I'm hoping I will. Stace was first diagnosed with osteosarcoma bone cancer after suffering a burning pain in her hip, which was revealed to be a tumour in January 2012. She underwent gruelling chemotherapy and thought she was in remission for five years before finding a lump in her breast in February 2019. She also underwent a double mastectomy and reconstruction surgery to tackle the illness, but tragedy struck again in December 2019 when doctors found cancerous lymph nodes. Stace was then diagnosed with sarcoma in her leg last February and underwent four surgeries to tackle it. Then, last October, she was diagnosed with a cruel illness for the fifth time, as doctors found her breast cancer has spread to her chest wall, behind her heart and liver. Now this year, doctors have tragically found more cancer in her bones, but Stace is determined to keep fighting. Miraculously, her cancer is now starting to shrink, as she undergoes extemacine, Zolodex and Fesco treatment on the NHS. But the aggressive treatment has left her in excruciating pain and in tears every day, leaving her desperate to get the stem dendritic cell therapy, which could target her illnesses pain-free. Dendritic cells help the immune system recognise and attack abnormal cells, such as cancer cells. To make the vaccine, scientists grow dendritic cells alongside cancer cells in the lab. The vaccine then stimulates your immune system to attack the cancer. It comes after previous attempts to cure her condition left her infertile, temporarily blind, numb in her limbs and struggling to swallow. Stay said, I'm happy the new drug is helping, but I'm in so much pain in my bones and joints I cry most days. It's so painful, I'm really not well with it, although I got my results through and the cancer is shrinking, which is a miracle. I'm even up every night taking pain medication at 3am, but it's just getting worse.
I've been totally devastated by the treatments for my cancer. The effects of treatment can start to compromise my life so badly. A GoFundMe page has also been set up for Stace by her friends and family who are desperate to see her fight off the cancer. The fundraiser has brought in more than £9,000 at the time of publishing and it hopes to hit a £35,000 target soon. The page reads, Stace has been a close friend for over 30 years to many of us. We've come together to support her in receiving this life-saving treatment. We'll be passing over any donations received directly to Stace so that she can arrange this as soon as possible. Let's aim to give this amazing, beautiful person the support and love she deserves. Stace added, I'm actually desperate for the doctors to stop this pain no matter what it takes. I'm so touched by my friends doing all this and wanting me to live. If we get more money from the fundraising, then I'll use it to start a support centre to help young, newly diagnosed women learn how to cope with it. I really missed a place like this and think there's a real need for it. An exclusive front page article written by Kirsty Fierick. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 2nd of May. Tenants hold demonstration against landlord. An article written by Katrina Stewart. Castle Milk residents held a demonstration to protest ongoing issues with service charges from their social landlord. As the Glasgow Times told on Saturday, members of Living Rent claim they're owed a £21,000 rebate by Housing Association Home Group. Holding placards, they marched to the postbox to send off a letter of demands to housing bosses. James Roberts, Living Rent neighbourhood organiser for Castle Milk, said... Our members, who are home group tenants in Castlemilk, have had enough of being neglected and taken for granted by their landlord. It's outrageous that they were expected to continue paying charges when services weren't being received during the pandemic, and that home group has proposed an increase in charges if the tenants want fly-tipping hotspots to be cleared. As we told, Castlemilk home group residents said they had to pay for maintenance out of their own pockets, on top of paying service fees for work not carried out during the lockdown. The landlord, however, said a walk-round of the estate had been carried out and a meeting to discuss issues is to be held. An article written by Katrina Stewart. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 2nd of May. Eczema win for families. An article written by Lauren Brownlee. The mum of a schoolgirl who suffered badly from eczema has welcomed Scotland as being the first nation in the UK to approve a new drug to treat the skin condition. The Scottish Medicines Consortium ruled that Rinvoc from pharmaceutical company ABV can be prescribed on the NHS for people aged 12 or over that have tried other means of treatment, such as steroid creams. Kirstine Carroll from Kirkintilloch hopes it will provide relief to Scottish families coping with a lifelong condition. Her daughter Olivia, who's 11, was diagnosed with eczema as a baby after months of her skin flare-ups being treated as cradle cap or nappy rash. After her diagnosis, the family started years of unsuccessful treatments. Kirstine said, We've tried dozens of treatments over the years, from mild steroids right up to the most potent ones. We've tried so many moisturisers, emollients, creams and even bandages and special clothing just to give Olivia some relief. She gets so sore and would scratch her skin until it bleeds. Often her bedding would be covered in blood from scratching so much and as a parent it's awful to see. You just feel so helpless. The family was referred to Glasgow's Royal Hospital for Children's Dermatology Department where the treatments continued but still Olivia found no relief. 
She was hospitalised twice with infected skin and had to be put on IV antibiotics to get her skin under control and has missed out on activities like swimming when her skin has been flared. Last year, dermatologists prescribed methotrexate, an immunosuppressant, which has finally worked for Olivia and her skin is now better than ever. Kirstine said, We finally found relief after years of dermatology appointments and more treatments that I can even remember, but some families aren't so lucky. If it didn't work, we would be running out of options, so it's great that there's now another treatment for people with eczema and it's great Scotland has approved it first. Eczema is such a misunderstood condition, people would often ask what was wrong with Olivia's skin and asked if it was contagious. For an 11-year-old girl, it's so hard to be different and she would ask all the time why she was the only child in the school that suffered the way she did. It affects every minute of her life. If she's having a flare, it's so hard to concentrate and she will be in pain. If her skin is good, it's always a worry about how to keep it good. The slightest thing like a new hand wash or the wrong washing powder can set her skin off and it can take days to get the skin under control. The Carroll family are members of Eczema Outreach Support, a charity that helps more than 3,000 children and young people with eczema and their families. Christine Roxburgh, who's CEO of the charity, also welcomed the RINVOC approval. She said, Working with adolescents who have severe eczema, we see the impact it has on a daily basis for them and their families. It can affect their education and work opportunities, their daily activities, sleep, self-esteem and mental health. Despite the availability of several treatments, there's still a large unmet need, especially for adolescent patients, and this approval will provide another option for people in Scotland who most urgently need it. An article written by Lauren Brownlee. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 2nd of May. Coffee back in business. An article written by Sara Pacheroni, multimedia journalist. Glasgow Coffee Festival is returning this May with 100 local businesses for coffee aficionados to sample the best of the city's coffee. It's the first time in two years that the festival is held indoors in the Brigate due to the pandemic, but the street element will remain in this year's edition. Festival goers will be able to take advantage of two weeks of deals and discounts. These will include free cannoli with every coffee at Laboratorio Espresso, free coffee with every food purchase at Sprig, and free cake with every coffee at 5 March, Good Egg and Morning Glory. There's no limit to how many deals can be used between today and May the 15th. All discounts can be claimed through the Best Coffee app, which can be downloaded to use at participating businesses. This year's festival will take place on May the 7th and May the 8th. Tickets are £12 per person and include presentations, film screenings and tastings. An article written by Sara Pacheroni. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 2nd of May. Fears art school rebuild may be based primarily on cheapest cost. An article written by Deborah Anderson, assistant news editor. The rebuild of the fire-ravaged Glasgow School of Art could be determined by the cheapest price over quality due to a flawed tender system, a leading Scottish architect has warned. Paul Stallon, co-founder of the Glasgow-based Stallon brand, believes the cultural importance of the rebuild of the world-renowned Macintosh building should prevail, with the right team chosen over the cheapest price. 
He said that a strict formula which prefers price over quality will not only rule out skillful architects bidding for the rebuild tender, including his own firm, but claims the architect team which presents the cheapest price to undertake the work at the art school can have a poor to average quality score and win the contract. And the Royal Incorporation of Architects in Scotland has spoken out, saying it supports a procurement process that balances cost with achieving the best possible design outcomes. Mr Stalin admits they've ruled out applying for the Glasgow School of Arts rebuild tender and believes the tender assessment criteria being applied should be reviewed. He says there's an issue around the application of a relative quality price assessment methodology, sometimes known as the 60-40 quality against cost method, which the Glasgow School of Art is applying in its selection process. Mr Stalin, best known for designing the 2014 Commonwealth Games Village and his work on the Falkirk Wheel and the Scottish Parliament, added, There's so much emotion for the building and you just want it to be right. For something as important as the rebuild of the Glasgow School of Art, with the procurement process, you would think that you would want to drill down that little bit more to look at what the formula is offering. There's no room for mediation or negotiation with these types of tenders. It's almost a case of what the computer says. You put all the scores in and out pops an answer. And we have so many clients that come back to us and say they didn't actually understand that. If there's the highest quality with reasonable costs, why shouldn't it come first? A Scottish Government spokesperson said it's always open to discussing how to restore and refurbish Scotland's buildings. An article written by Deborah Anderson. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 2nd of May. Laughing thug with machete jailed after lashing out at police. An article written by Connor Gordon, court reporter. A laughing thug with a machete who lashed out at police was jailed for 16 months. Stephen Horne, who's 29, was caught with a blade at a property in Glasgow's Govan Hill on November the 9th last year. Glasgow Sheriff Court heard Mr Horne attended the scene and was shouting as well as swearing at around midnight. Prosecutor Alistair Mitchell said he was behaving aggressively while in possession of a machete. Police attended and found Mr Horne, who's from Penny Lee, in the bedroom standing over an unnamed woman. He was ordered to go into the living room where he began to laugh. Mr Mitchell said officers saw what appeared to be a machete blade protruding out of the couch where Mr Horne was sitting. Mr Horne attempted to flee the scene and kicked out at officers who tried to restrain him in order to break free. He was then sprayed in the face by an officer after he repeated his behaviour. Mr Horne was restrained with fast straps before being arrested and held in custody. Mr Horne pleaded guilty to behaving in a threatening or abusive manner and assaulting two police officers. Neil McShane, defending, told the court that he attended his former area of Govan Hill for a social event for a friend with cancer. The lawyer said he accepts his behaviour is entirely unacceptable. Another person was at the property with him who made good his escape before the police arrived. Sheriff Tom Hughes told him that the only way of dealing with Mr Horne was with a custodial sentence. An article written by Connor Gordon. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 2nd of May. Marks and Spencer closes store in Glasgow's Socky Hall Street. An article written by Rebecca Newlands, digital journalist. After nearly 100 years as the centre point of one of Glasgow's busiest shopping streets, Marks and Spencer has closed its doors for the final time. 
Glaswegians recognise and love the store, which has stood proudly in Socky Hall Street since its opening on November 29, 1935. Marks & Spencer provided the ultimate shopping experience, with food, clothing, homeware, gifts and more, all within one glamorous Art Deco-fronted building. It was just one of the many department stores that lined the street, including nearby Watt Brothers, which closed in 2019. Marks & Spencer bosses previously confirmed the reason for the closure as changing shopping habits. On Saturday, the shutters sealed off the empty store at around 1pm. Later in the afternoon, passers-by looked in at the racks of clothes from behind the locked doors. An article written by Rebecca Newlands. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 2nd of May. American nurse makes jump across the pond. An exclusive article written by Katrina Stewart. Starting a new life in a new country can be a daunting prospect, but for nurse Grace Hayner, moving continents meant being reunited with her husband. Grace is one of nearly 200 nurses recruited by Scotland's hospitals from overseas to help the NHS through unprecedented challenges. Health Secretary Hamza Youssef said last month that agreements are in place with recruitment agencies to hire a further 203 nurses from overseas, while more than a 1,000 new support staff have been taken on to work in acute hospitals and community health teams. New starts have come from as far away as India and the Philippines, while Grace arrives in Scotland from America. Appropriately given its nickname as Scotland's Ellis Island, she's moved from Brooklyn in New York to Govan Hill. Arriving in Glasgow means being reunited with her husband, a British trainee doctor she married last year and who's based at Inverclyde Royal Hospital. In Brooklyn, Grace worked as an advanced practice nurse, focusing on family medicine in a clinic offering care to uninsured and undocumented citizens. She now joins another 51 foreign nurses recruited by NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde to support patients and teams on hospital wards. Grace said, when you love someone, you want to be where they are. Because my husband is in the midst of his training, it was very clear after we married that I would come here too. Grace submitted her application to the NHS in November last year and was offered a job in February. Although the process was relatively straightforward, being apart from her new husband was difficult. She added, I was in the US for about two months, separated from my husband, which is quite difficult, waiting for that job to come through but when the offer was made, the Home Office turned around the health and care worker visa very quickly, within about 10 days. Grace and her husband were finally reunited on February the 28th, and the couple moved to Govan Hill. Grace added, People ask me about living in Govan Hill, and I always say it's very peaceful, and they seem to find that very funny. But compared to Brooklyn, it is very peaceful. The transition to Glasgow has been one of the easiest. The people are just incredibly friendly here and the pace of life is a lot more relaxed. She's now working on Ward 5A at the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital, treating patients with medical diabetes. Grace says her new colleagues are wonderful, adding, everyone's been really lovely and helpful and warm. An exclusive article written by Katrina Stewart. Evening Times. Me too. Lifestyle. Memories. Eleven things you never knew about Glasgow's book festival, I write. Report by Anne Fotheringham. As the city gears up for its first full edition of literary spectacular, I write, since 2019, 
Times past looks back on some of the highlights of the last 17 years. Here are 11 things you probably did not know about the Glasgow Book Festival. 1. The first I Write was in 2005 and it became an annual affair from 2007. It sold 15,000 tickets in its first year. 2. It is known for its committed and honest audiences. At the 2007 event, a member of the audience told author Ian Banks, Your books are good, but they could be better. 3. Long before he was British television's wonder boy, thanks to Line of Duty, Jed Mercurio appeared at I Write to discuss his novel Ascent. He told our sister newspaper The Herald that if things had gone well and he had become a medical officer pilot in the RAF, he wouldn't have turned to writing. That would have been a disaster for British television drama, said the Herald. 4. The 10th anniversary took place in 2015 with a special event called There's Only One I Write, which brought together many prize-winning authors who had appeared at the festival over its first decade, including Christopher Brookmeyer, Denise Miner and Louise Welsh. 5. On discovering in 2015 that he had appeared at I Write more than any other author, Chris Brookmeyer said, I was surprised to learn I'm the author who has appeared at most I Write festivals. I was even more surprised to learn that they're not completely sick of me, so I'll be bringing down the tone with my presence yet again. I am looking forward to revisiting old shames, recalling audience walkouts, and generally lowering the bar so that the fantastic lineup of my fellow Scottish authors can raise it again. 6. A huge variety of famous faces have visited I Write over the last 17 years. Everyone from Eva Schlosch, the stepsister of Anne Frank, Edith Bowman, Tracy Thorne and Karen Dunbar, to Joan Bakewell, Alan Bennett, Kevin Bridges and Barbara Dixon. Once there was even a Dalek. 7. There were fears Hollywood legend Kathleen Turner would not make the 2008 event where she was scheduled to speak about her autobiography after collapsing in rehearsals for a play in New York the week before. Thankfully, the star of Romancing the Stone and The War of the Roses recovered and made it to Glasgow to deliver a five-star performance. 8. Edwin Collins, Scottish pop star and former frontman of Orange Juice, and his partner Chris Maxwell, held an audience spellbound when they appeared at the 2010 festival. The couple were there to talk about falling and laughing. Gracie's book chronicling Colin's double brain hemorrhage in 2004. 9. 
I Write was broadcast nationally for the first time in 2011 as part of the BBC's World Book Night coverage. That year, the festival welcomed big names such as Dame Shirley Williams, Alexander McCall Smith, and Scandinavia's King of Crime, Joe Nesbo. 10. At the 2015 event, author Tessa Dunlop was speaking about her book, which told the stories of women who served at top-secret code-breaking HQ Bletchley Park when she discovered there were three Bletchley women, all in their 90s, in the audience. She invited them on stage, and the largely female audience gave them a standing ovation. 11. The festival was set to host more than 260 writers, including its first reigning Booker Prize winner, Bernardine Evaristo, in 2020 when it was cancelled due to COVID. In 2021, it went ahead online and included an appearance by Booker Prize 2021 winner, Douglas Stewart, the Glasgow-born author of Shuggy Bain. I Write runs over three weekends in May, from Friday, May 6 to Sunday, May 8, Thursday, May 12 to Sunday, May 15, and Thursday, May 19 to Sunday, May 22. The full programme and tickets are available online, reports Anne Fotheringham. Evening Times, May 2. Opinion. Mike Daly says, Council has a duty to have suitable homeless housing. Scotland had 13,192 households with 7,510 children in temporary homeless accommodation at the end of last September. That's the latest figure for our 32 local authorities who also had 26,000 open homeless cases across the country. It is not uncommon for many homeless households to remain in temporary accommodation for years, typically if they have children. Turnover and resettlement are faster for single-person households who tend to be men. Being stuck in temporary accommodation is akin to being trapped in Dante's first circle of hell. It truly is an existence of limbo as temporary accommodation rents are not subsidised and local authorities have a discretion to pursue full cost recovery, the rents can be very high. This means if you lose your housing benefit because you start a new job or go into further education, you will end up with rent arrears and personal debt. While that's a pernicious outcome, much worse is the fate of people being placed in unsuitable temporary accommodation for indefinite periods. It used to be the case there was no right to any standards when it came to temporary homeless accommodation. You took what was offered and had to be grateful for small mercies. Yet sometimes we progress as a society and in 2004 
the unsuitable accommodation order was introduced. The 2004 order was modest and only applied to homeless applicants who were pregnant or who had a dependent child. However, it was beefed up in 2014, 2019, 2020 and 2021. From May 2020, it was extended to all homeless persons and became the 2014 order and defined what was suitable accommodation and what was not. Last week, the Court of Session, Scotland's highest civil court, held that local authorities were under an absolute legal obligation to provide accommodation suitable for occupation by a homeless household, taking into account the needs of a household. I had argued this case as instructed by Govan Hill Law Centre, Glasgow City Council, the GCC, claimed that they had a legal discretion to balance the needs of a homeless household against other demands on their finite resources. In essence, a council could provide legally unsuitable accommodation indefinitely. The court did not agree, and in the judicial review of X versus Glasgow City Council, the homeless person won. The case raises important questions for GCC's practice when it comes to homelessness in the city. GCC's position was to effectively claim its hands were often tied in providing suitable accommodation. It lodged evidence quoted in the court's judgment that explained, Glasgow City Council does not have its own housing stock. Glasgow City Council transferred all its housing stock as part of a stock transfer process on March 3, 2003. The stock was transferred to Glasgow Housing Association and since that time some of it has been transferred to other registered social landlords. This means that Glasgow City Council gets the houses it uses for interim accommodation from registered social landlords. It also means that the offers of permanent accommodation are offers secured from registered social landlords. Registered social landlords will usually cooperate with Glasgow City Council in making both interim and permanent accommodation available. However, what Glasgow City Council receives is dependent on what registered social landlords have available. Clearly, GCC will have to consider how it can provide larger accommodation to meet the needs of certain homeless families and those with disabilities. As the 2014 order extends to single person households, GCC will have to examine its practice of sometimes placing applicants in bed and breakfast accommodation for more than seven days. Some bed and breakfast or hotel accommodations lack adequate cooking facilities, contrary to Article 5 of the 2014 order. There will be obvious scope to work more closely with local housing associations, the voluntary sector and the private sector to develop a wider portfolio of suitable accommodation in Glasgow. 
Let's not forget, GCC has had almost 20 years to do so since the stock transfer. Similar issues may well arise for other local authorities across Scotland. What is certain is local authorities cannot simply ignore the law. As the court said in X versus Glasgow City Council, in this case, however, the respondent adopted the wholly extraordinary position that an order for specific performance should not be granted because it proposed not to comply with the court's decision and instead continue to act unlawfully. It is fundamental to the rule of law that public authorities obey the law and obey the courts. If a court decides that public authority is in breach of a statutory duty, the public authority must comply with the duty. The authority cannot just say that it chooses not to do so, because in its view it is impossible to do so. It must find a way to comply with its duty. Report by Mike Daly From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 4th of May 2022, from the news section, Former school teacher accused of performing sex act in front of boy by Connor Gordon, court reporter. A former school teacher will stand trial accused of performing a sex act in front of a boy. Gerald King, 69, allegedly used lewd, indecent and libidinous practices towards the boy aged between 7 and 11 at a primary school in the north of Glasgow. Court papers state that the offence took place on an occasion between August 1991 and June 1995. It is stated that King was a schoolteacher and a football coach at the time. The charge claims King invited the boy into a room where he was changing, where he then performed the sex act. On Wednesday, King pleaded not guilty at Glasgow Sheriff Court to the single charge. A trial was fixed for December by Sheriff John McCormick. King of the city Springburn had his bail continued meantime. And that article was by Connor Gordon. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 4th of May 2022, from the news section. Glasgow SNP leader Susan Aitken says criticism over cleansing is unfair. By Stuart Patterson, political correspondent. Susan Aitken says the personal criticism of her over cleansing and graffiti in Glasgow is not fair. Opponents, particularly Labour and the Conservatives, have highlighted litter, dirty streets and graffiti-covered buildings, claiming the SNP has failed to keep Glasgow clean. But the SNP leader of the City Council said it is unfair and false. Speaking to the Glasgow Times ahead of the election on Thursday, she said the city is not unique in the challenges it faces. Asked if she considered the personal criticism fair, she says, No, I don't think it's fair. I think it's absolutely fair to ask what our plans are, what we're going to do to help those services recover. To make it party political is grossly unfair and just false. And I think too, what particularly irks me, has been Labour and Tory making out that Glasgow is somehow uniquely affected by this, and they've made it almost like this defines Glasgow now. And I just refuse to buy into that. Glasgow is not defined by these challenges, but we do need to recognise these challenges. Ms Aitken said the SNP has invested in cleansing 
and is modernising the service. She said, Cleansing and environmental services were a huge issue for us when we inherited them. They had been subject to historic underinvestment and a failure to reform and modernise. We had started that process of investment and shifting to more neighbourhood focused. Some parts to fly tipping, others its commercial weight. We invested in new bins, new lorries, new sweepers and invested in new staff. We put some reforms in place and yes, they are difficult for households to get used to at first. Everybody sees it as a cut. It's genuinely not. It's about reform and improvement and we are seeing results. Recycling is going up and it's going to up at a significant rate. We're finally moving towards where we need to be. And she says the introduction of a bulk uplift charge has improved the service. Ms. Aitken added, Bulk uplift used to be 28 days. If you book an appointment now, it is within days. The small charge has massively improved the service and allows us to target where we have those issues, like fly tipping or graffiti. And that piece was by Stuart Patterson. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 4th of May 2022, from the news section, Man charged after alleged incident with bladed weapon on Quiet Street. Report by Rebecca Newlands. A man has been charged after an alleged incident involving a weapon. Cops rushed to the area of Watson Street in Motherwell on Sunday evening in response to a report of a man with a bladed weapon. There were no injuries and they are proceeding with an investigation into what happened. A Police Scotland spokesperson said, At around 11pm on Sunday, May the 1st, police were called to a report of a man with a bladed weapon in the Watson Street area of Motherwell. The force confirmed that a 26-year-old was arrested and charged in connection with the incident and was expected to expected in court on May the 3rd. The spokesperson added, No one was injured and inquiries are ongoing to establish the full circumstances. And that report was by Rebecca Newlands. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 4th of May 2022, from the news section, Mystery filming takes place outside legendary Glasgow pub. By Nicole Mitchell A film crew has been spotted filming outside a legendary Glasgow pub. The mystery production was seen outside the Lauriston on Bridge Street yesterday afternoon, with film and television unit vehicles also spotted parked up on Nelson Street. While it is unclear what is being filmed, Glasgow has seen a number of productions come to the city in recent months. Last month, crews took over the city centre to shoot a number of scenes for the thriller Borderland, which is set in 1970s London and follows an IRA unit. Dozens of vintage cars, red phone boxes and double-decker buses were spotted in West Campbell Street, which was closed off to, the f- to film a car chase scene and a scene with a gunman. Filming for Batgirl also took over the city centre at the start of the year, with a number of Hollywood stars pictured and set including Leslie Grace, Michael Keaton and J.K. Simmons. Earlier this year, the Glasgow Times reported the Lauriston had also made its first appearance on a vinyl record sleeve for the album club's first LP. It was created by members of the record club during the first lockdown. Musician Michael John McCarthy, known as MJ, said to put the Lauriston on the cover as it holds a special place in his heart. He said, It reminds me of my favourite pubs in Ireland. The hospitality is incredible. I've been going for 10 years now.
They do the best pint of Guinness in Glasgow. It's a great community of people and it's probably the friendliest bar in the city. And that report was by Nicole Mitchell. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 4th of May 2022, from the news section, Pierre rushed to hospital after fight involving makeshift weapons at Springfield Quay by Nicole Mitchell. Two men have been rushed to hospital following a serious assault at Springfield Quay. Cops are called to a disturbance involving a group of men at around 12.50am on Monday. The Scottish Sun reports footage from the scene shows groups of men fighting with each other and using makeshift weapons, including metal rods. Two men, aged 22 and 35, had to be taken to Glasgow Royal Infirmary for treatment following the incident. An investigation is underway and anyone with information is asked to contact police via 101, quoting incident number 0157 of May 2nd. A Police Scotland spokesperson said, At around 12.50am on Monday, May 2nd, police were made aware of a disturbance involving a group of men in the Springfield Quay area of Glasgow. Two men, aged 35 and 22, were seriously assaulted and taken to Glasgow Royal Infirmary for treatment. Inquiries are ongoing and anyone with any information is asked to contact Police Scotland on 101 and quote incident number 0157 of 2nd of May. And that report was by Nicole Mitchell. And that was this week's Glasgow Times News podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes with the publisher's kind permission. Thanks for listening.